Hello, everybody. If you're in the room, if you want to take a seat, we're going to get going. Um, good morning. As Andy said, my name is Emma, and this morning I have the privilege of continuing our Just Eat series. I want to start, though, by asking you a question. Those of you in the room, you can put your hand up. Those of you at home, I want you to get on the YouTube comments because I want to hear what you have to say as well. I'm wondering how many of you regularly sit around the table to eat together in your homes? Show of hands. Quite a lot of hands in the room. We'll see what the YouTube comments say later. A second question, how many of you feel like during COVID that has increased, the amount of times you're sitting around the table has increased during COVID? Put your hands up. A few, all right, I'll take it. Basically, I found some statistics recently that said that in 2019, less than a third of UK families were sitting around the table to eat together. And then I saw another survey that was done during COVID that said that there's been an increase by 44% of families who are now sitting around the table together to eat. And there's something in me that thinks that this past year has almost led us to reclaim sitting around the table together, something that we weren't necessarily doing before. And so I think it's very apt that we're doing this series talking about sitting around the table talking about meals. So if you've been with us through this series already, you'll know that we first looked at Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners at Levi's house. And then Andy talked to us about the story of Jesus being anointed at the home of a Pharisee during a meal. And then last week, we had the privilege of hearing Dave speak to us on the feeding of the 5,000. And today... We are jumping into Luke 14 and the parable of the banquet. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 14 with me. I'm going to briefly read verse 1 and then jump straight to verse 7 to 24. Um, and I'm going to be reading from the ESV. It says this. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Now jump to verse 7. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. 
When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. I'm just going to pray and then we'll jump in. Father God, thank you that you are here. Thank you that you are present and that you speak to us. I just pray this morning as we delve into this passage, would you soften our hearts to hear what you're speaking to us, that we would know you more deeply through what we talk about this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, there's a lot going on in this passage. And so I think before we jump into the big idea that Jesus is trying to communicate here, it's worth us just taking a second to understand the passage. And so what we see here is Jesus sitting down with a ruler of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were Jewish religious scholars who essentially really liked the rules. And the man who's invited Jesus to this dinner party isn't just a Pharisee, but a ruler of the Pharisees. So it's like the top of that hierarchy, the best rule keeper of them all. And I think this is interesting because so often we think of Jesus as sitting down with sinners And yet, here he sits down with someone who, by all accounts, kind of has it all together. He's keeping all the rules. He's doing all what he thinks is the right thing. And yet, Jesus still sits down with him because he's got something to teach him. And so, as Jesus sits around the table with them, he begins to tell them a story of the seating arrangements at a banquet. And essentially, what he is saying here is, if you go to a wedding as a guest, don't go and sit at the head table with the bride and groom, because inevitably, someone else is going to come who has greater claim to that seat, and the bride and groom are going to come to you and say, oh, actually, could could you just sit at this other lower down table? Jesus is saying, instead... Go and sit at the table right at the back. You know those tables at weddings where it's like all the people who didn't really fit into a specific table? He's like, go sit at that table that the host would come to you and say, no friend, move higher. 
Jesus is landing the point that those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. There's then this moment where it kind of feels like Jesus would have looked around the table, seen person of importance after person of importance, and he stops, looks directly at the man who has invited him and just says, friend, you've got it wrong when it comes to this invite list. He is reminding his host to be careful of pride when it comes to the invite list and saying that actually he should invite those who cannot repay or return the favor. He's reminding him that he should live with an eternal perspective, that treasure doesn't look like people inviting you to another dinner party, but rather he should be thinking about that which awaits him in heaven, that which awaits at the resurrection of the just. Then someone else around the table responds to what Jesus has said, saying, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. Here what he's speaking about is the great banquet with the Messiah, but I'm not going to talk about that now because we're going to get to it later. Jesus responds to that with another story about another banquet. And what I've learned in looking at this passage, which I actually didn't know before, is that there would have been two invitations to an event such as this. So kind of like with a wedding, where you get a save the date and then an actual invitation, there would have been a first round of invitations. So where we jump in in the story that Jesus is telling, all the initial invitations would have been sent out already and the people invited would have given their responses. And so in this story, the servant is being sent out with a second invitation that says, come now, for everything is ready. The servant is met with excuse after excuse, and we don't have time to look at all those excuses right now, but safe to say they're pretty feeble, and essentially the equivalent of saying, oh, sorry, I know I said that I'd come, I actually can't come now because I need to wash my hair tonight. That's basically what they're saying. And so when the servant reports this to the host, the host says, go out to the streets and the lanes and bring in the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, all those who weren't previously invited, bring them in. And he then sends his servant out even further to the highways and the hedges and asks that his servant compels the people to come in so that his house would be filled. So I recently moved house. Um, we moved into an unfurnished house. And so there was a lot we needed to get, and despite the fact that we didn't have beds that were built, sofas, anything to sit on, I became adamant that the thing we needed was a dining room table. I was obsessed with it, and I'm a little embarrassed to say that I became massively obsessed with Facebook Marketplace for like a good couple of weeks, and if you think I'm overreacting, ask my housemates Lucy and Lou, and they will confirm that every free moment I was spending on Facebook Marketplace looking for a dining room table. I eventually found the one from Jane in Bath. I haggled her down by 50 pounds. I was very pleased with myself. I arranged a man with a van to go and get the table from Bath. He arrives, he puts it outside the door, he goes off on his way. 
it quickly became very apparent that whilst I'd been very diligent in measuring the space in the kitchen where the table was going to go, I had failed to measure the front door. And the table, in fact, did not fit through the door. And we then had to take the entire table apart, legs off and all, bring it into the house, purchase many tools I did not even know existed. And about a week later, we had this table in our kitchen. And I was so satisfied, and the table felt so significant because of how it had come to be in our house. It taught me a lesson about the significance of the table. And I think there's a lot going on in this chapter of Luke. But as I've read it over and over, what has really struck me is that the main thing that Jesus is communicating here is the importance of the table, the significance of the banqueting table. As James mentioned when he spoke a few weeks ago, the meal table was incredibly significant in the culture of the time. It wasn't just a means to an end, but rather it was a place where people were brought into unity and into family. But as we can see in this story in Luke with the Pharisees, the table had also become a place of reciprocity, of exclusivity, of privilege, and of pride. I love that Jesus has this beautiful way of taking something that has been skewed and changed by culture and reclaiming it as holy. In this story, Jesus takes the culturally tarnished table and reclaims it as a sacred space. Jesus is reminding us that our physical tables represent something so much more than just what we put our meals on. I don't think that Jesus here is choosing to tell two stories about the banqueting table just because they're sat round one. There's more to it than that. Jesus is talking about our physical tables, that he would open up a conversation to speak of a heavenly banqueting table, which we hear of throughout scripture. And so I think before we really look at what we can take from this passage, it's important to just quickly understand the significance of the table throughout scripture. Alistair Begg says this, what Jesus says about the banqueting table is heavenly in its origin and earthly in its application. We can't talk about our physical tables without missing what Jesus is saying about the heavenly banqueting table. So, if you've got your Bibles, and you can turn with me to Isaiah 25, 6, it says this, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, and well-refined. And then in Jeremiah 31, verses 12 to 14, it says this, They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of their flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. 
in verse 15, where one of the people sat around the table talks about eating bread in the kingdom of God. These passages in Isaiah and Jeremiah is what the Pharisees would have been aware of. They knew their Old Testament scripture well and they knew the invitation to the table that had been prophesied in the Old Testament. And then if we look at Jesus' invitation to the table in Luke 14, verses 16 to 20 are referring to the arrival of the kingdom in the ministry of Jesus with its initial present taste of the joyful fellowship with God that will be fully realized in the coming age. The point that Jesus is trying to make here that we see in verse 17, he says, come for everything is now ready. Jesus is saying the metaphorical banquet is ready and he has come to bring Israel to it. That there would be a present taste of the joyful fellowship with God that will be fully realized in a coming age. And what that speaks of is a future table that we see in Revelation 19, 6 to 9. And it says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints." And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. I wonder if you've spotted that link. In verse 15 in the passage in Luke, where he says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then that verse in the Revelation passage that says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's all linked. Jesus is pointing out here this thread throughout scripture that speaks of the table. And it is important that we realize this before we delve any deeper into this passage. Because what Jesus is saying about the banqueting table is heavenly in its origin and earthly in its application. Jesus is speaking of our physical tables mirroring the table that has been prophesied and promised throughout scripture. He's saying that the heavenly banqueting table should be the model for our physical tables. I wonder if you've ever been invited to something that you've been really surprised to get the invite to and you say yes and you get there and you're like, how did I end up here? This is so cool. But you spend the whole time kind of being like, okay, don't really know how I've ended up here, but I'm going to enjoy it while I'm here. But you just remember the whole time, you know, oh, I don't know how I got this invite. Should I really be here? I think about that uh, when I think about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Don't know if you've ever read or seen it, but how all the kids get their golden ticket and they all get it the same way, you know? They open up a chocolate bar, they get a golden ticket and all of the other kids kind of have this sense of feeling like, well, I deserved to be here. Whereas Charlie spends the whole time being like, wow, 
what a privilege it is to have had an invitation to enter this space that I wouldn't normally have access to. In verse 11 of this passage in Luke, Jesus reminds us of the importance of humility. And I think it's important we pick up on this, that we know that even if we're sat at the table with Jesus, we must remain humble. We, we must remember how we've ended up at the table. If we are to fully understand that we are to extend the invite to the table to others, we need to remember how we've ended up at the table. I wonder if you notice the repetition in verses 13 and 21, the repetition of the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. I think it's easy to kind of detach ourselves from that idea, but it's so important that we realize that this was us. We were spiritually poor with nothing to offer for our salvation. We were spiritually crippled, made powerless by sin, spiritually blind, unable to see the truth about Jesus, and spiritually lame, unable to come to God on our own. But Jesus, if you turn with me to Ephesians 2, verse 11 to 13, it says this, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Jesus Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The table is a leveler and an equalizer. Sat round the table, we're all the same because we have all ended up at the table by the same means. Our invitation granted only by the blood of Christ. You don't look to one side or the other and think, oh, well, that person earned their way here. It must have been their status or achievements. Nope, it's all about Jesus. The empty cross makes a way for a table of grace that blows past our hierarchical constructs and practices radical inclusion. The invite is extended to all. In verses 12 to 14, where Jesus says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. What Jesus says here is different. Jesus is taking what they had known then and what we know now and flipping it on its head. Here, Jesus is demonstrating the countercultural call of the banqueting table. 
I sometimes think that maybe we struggle to identify with the part of this story that talks about having a highest and a lowest around the table because we're not really used to sitting around tables where there's like a seat of honor and there is a highest and a lowest. And I think a lot of that is because we're not really inviting the lowest to our tables. I think that there is something about access to our tables. They are very intimate spaces. As we sit across them, we tell stories, we share life, and we have been conditioned by culture. We have learned that we should only invite people like us into that space. When I was younger, I was a bit of a birthday princess, guys, I'm not gonna lie, and I'd like to say I'm completely rid of it now, but I'm not sure that I am. But when I was younger, it was way worse. And I used to insist on having so many birthday parties. I'm talking like three or four birthday parties. And that was all under the guise of being a birthday princess, but I look back now and I see that actually, what that was was me trying to keep the people in my life separate. So I would have a family birthday party, and I would have a party for my school friends, and I would have a party for my church friends. And it was all because I thought, okay, these people are all quite different, so I should keep them separate because I don't want any discomfort. Like, let's just keep everybody who's like each other with each other and have all these separate birthday parties. I think it's easy to scoff at the Pharisees in this story to be like, oh, silly Pharisees, only inviting important people to your dinners. But as I've read through this passage again and again, I have felt so incredibly challenged. I asked myself, when was the last time I invited someone who wasn't like me to sit around the table with me? And I mean really not like me. I couldn't remember. I said, Holy Spirit, help me. Because I'm not doing this right yet. And so I think working on the assumption that and maybe I'm not the only one that feels this way. What Jesus is saying here in this passage is just as shaking for us now as it was for them then. Jesus brings in something new in this story in the exhortation to invite outsiders to our meals. He says it in verse 13. He reiterates it in verse 21. Jesus is giving us a countercultural call that moves away from reciprocity and towards grace. Culturally, we've kind of got this give and take thing going on, you know, where it's like, before I give you this thing, can I just find out what you can give me in return? Like, we want to make people work to get status. People are working for a seat at the table. But in verse 12, Jesus is saying, invite those who can't repay you, who won't return the favor. He's saying, don't give in to this culture of reciprocity. Theologian Miroslav Volf suggested that our entire culture has been built on the persistent practice of exclusion, that that's how we work. We make people work to get a seat at the table and therefore we exclude so many. People are having to strive for community, to strive for a seat around the table. 
John Tyson says this, people today are exhausted from having to perform and earn their way into community. So when someone welcomes them in love, hearts and humanity are restored. Jesus is calling us away from this culture of reciprocity and is calling us into the radically inclusive hospitality that he models so well. The Greek word for hospitality is so beautiful. It's philozenia. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, it's a compound combining philos, which is a word meaning friend, and xenos, a word meaning foreigner. Making a friend of the foreigner, bringing the outsiders in, giving them space at the table, rather than fear of the other, hospitality is love for the other. Hospitality asks that we set aside the social norms, the social hierarchies, that we set that all aside, that we set aside performance and prestige and replace an attitude of reciprocity with an ethic of grace. It is only by grace that any of us have ended up at the table, that any of us have entered into relationship with God. It is by grace. And so it's not about making people strive to get access to sit around our tables, but rather making our tables spaces of grace. I think it's, it can be easy to preach grace from afar, but how much are we cultivating our own homes, our tables as spaces of grace? We need to practice true hospitality that asks for nothing in return. Jem Wilkin says this, hospitality throws wide the doors. It offers itself expecting nothing in return. It keeps no record of its service, counts no cost, craves no thanks. It is nothing less than the joyous habitual offering of those who recall a gracious table set before them in the presence of their enemies, of those who look forward to a glorious table yet to come. Hospitality throws wide the doors. In inviting those who are not like us to sit at our physical tables, we open up the conversation. We provide opportunities to invite them to a heavenly banqueting table. As Tim Tester says, it's as simple as this. When you combine a passion for Jesus with shared meals, you create potent gospel opportunities. Hospitality, sitting across the table from one another, it is the front door to the gospel. I have a friend called Patrick, I actually call him Paddy. Um, and we've been friends since the beginning of university, so maybe we've been friends like six years now, which is a long time. And when we first met, we got on fine, you know, we'd have nice chats, it was all fairly surface level. Um, and I have this really significant memory of the first time we ever sat across the table from one another, the first time we ate together. And it was like something shifted. We had conversations about life 
and pain and loss. And we had conversations about Jesus. And I was sat across that table from him thinking, how has this happened? I'd never previously felt like there was an open door there, but there was something about sitting across the table from one another that completely opened the door to talk about Jesus. And I have such good memories of every time we've now sat down together across a table, that conversation opening up. And before Christmas, I did online alpha with my friend Patrick. And we have had conversation after conversation about Jesus his goodness, his faithfulness. And that all felt like it stemmed from sitting across the table from one another. Radical hospitality is at the heart of the gospel. Just as we have been welcomed in by Jesus when we were dead in our sin, when we were unlovable, Jesus brought us in. And so we are now called to welcome in the least, the last, and the lost. I feel like there might be some people this morning who are in that space of thinking, I couldn't possibly deserve an invitation to the table. No, that's not for me. And I just want to say to you that Jesus is calling out to you. Come now, for everything is ready. He wants to take your hand and lead you to the seat at the table that is just for you. He wants relationship with you. Once we're at the table, we're called to extend the invitation, not make the table exclusive. Hospitality is a demonstration of the kingdom. It is a demonstration of grace. What Jesus is asking of us in this passage is that we would take up the countercultural call of the banqueting table, that we would move away from reciprocity and move towards grace, that we would remember that it's only by grace that we've ended up at the table. And so we are to extend the invitation to all. The empty cross has made a way for a table of grace. And we are to invite people to it. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for your blood shed for us. Thank you for your grace. We recognize that it's only by your grace that we've ended up at the table. And we are filled with joy and awe and wonder at that. We thank you for your invitation and we say yes. I just pray right now that what we've spoken about this morning would settle in each of our hearts, that we would have fresh revelations of your grace and that would lead us to extend the invitation to our tables to all, to those who are not like us. We pray Holy Spirit help us where our hearts have been hardened to that. I pray Holy Spirit come, soften our hearts that we would remember the cross, that we would remember that our tables are to be tables of grace. Amen.